Welcome. I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are regular Wednesday postings where my co-host Paul Bishop or I get to hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice campfire and spend some time talking with friends who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is author Chris Enns. Chris Enns is a New York Times bestselling author, a scriptwriter and comedian who has written for television and film, and performed on cruise ships and on stage. She's worked with award-winning musicians, writers, directors, producers, and as a screenwriter for Tricor Entertainment. But her passion is for telling the stories of the men and women who shaped the history and mythology of the American West. Her newest book is Iron Women, The Ladies Who Helped Build the Railroad. Since we last visited with Chris, she's been busy with the release of Iron Women, as well as the Western Writers of America's Packing the West program. Howdy, Chris. Well, hello, Rich. How's everything going? Everything's going pretty well today. We've got uh, a little bit of winter going on outside. I hope it's sunny where you are. Uh, Not so much here in Northern California, but thank you so much for letting me be a part of the broadcast today. I appreciate it. Let's talk about Iron Women. What's the book about and what new light does it shed on the history of railroading in America? Iron Women is about the women who influenced and helped build the American Railroad. The book includes a variety of women, those ladies such as Eliza Murphy, who um, invented um, a particular type of lubricant and the way that you apply it to axles on trains so they would respond better, to Nancy Wilkerson, who invented the cow car, Dr. Mary Pennington, who invented the modern-day refrigerator car, Um, The Harvey Girls, who Will Rogers famously said that the Harvey Girls uh, helped feed the West and also helped bring them wives. And also, it includes women like Laura Bullion, who was um, the woman who helped rob the last train in the United States that was robbed. I was especially interested in stories like the inventor um, Mary Elizabeth Walton, who was way ahead of her time, think on... uh kind of environmental issues, right? Isn't that amazing? You get a woman who is interested in, I mean, and that was very early on, interested in the emissions uh, that were being spewed out into the atmosphere even then and thought that it wasn't the the belching, the black smoke all over the West wasn't going to be good. So she does invent a, a system to cut down on those emissions and has something in the neighborhood of five or six patents on her invention. Um, oh, my gosh. Just brilliant women. I mean, you know, when the, when the Transcontinental Railroad was completed in May of 1869 and they drove that golden spike there and at that point in Utah, there was a big deal about the fact that very few of the pictures of that event included any images of women. A lot of the men said that was because women had very little to do with uh, surveying any of the land and virtually nothing to do with laying any of the track. And they wanted to make a big issue about the fact that women really, they were not involved in this particular venture. And it's true that women didn't survey and they didn't lay track, but had it not been for the women who came in after the building of the railroad, the completion of that railroad, few people would have gotten on ridden across country. It was um, women inventors who came on and said, here are the kinds of things that we need to do to make travel more comfortable for the average person going from point A to point B, because it certainly wasn't. There was, um, I mean, seating, when, when men put the seating together, it really was not any better than just a couple of boards on top of some barrels. 
It was women who came in and said, we need to come up with proper seating. We need to come up with better lighting. We need to have restrooms on board. I mean, men can go to the bathroom anywhere. Women don't have that option. So That's just amazing. I I can see that, you know, the the rough and tumble old guys who built the railroad just, you know, put down a, a plank or something and say, that's good enough to sit on. And the women come in and say, no, it isn't. And yeah. they, were, they were right. Absolutely right. I was going to say, we just weren't going to get enough people buying tickets to travel across country. And essentially, this was to be a business. You were going to be bridging the gap from the east to the west. You wanted to bring more people out to the west. And in order to do that, you had to make the railroads much more attractive for all people to want to get on board. And women were essential in doing that, not only with designing better seating, lighting, ventilation, making the interior look as attractive as possible, but also in in helping to make it a commercial success by they themselves making that venture from New York to San Francisco, as um, Miriam Leslie did. Yes. Uh, I, I was fascinated with her story. Yeah. Can you fill us in a little bit on that, on her sure. story? Sure. Um, sorry, I didn't want to jump ahead. I, I can be I can be quite gabby. So sometimes I feel like I got to shut up and let someone else have a, get a word in edgewise. I mean, it is your show, Rich. So... No, go ahead. Um, but Miriam Leslie was was a journalist. Um, she was married to a gentleman by the name of Frank Leslie, and I think everybody recognizes who's familiar with um, the history of the American West recognizes the name Frank Le- Frank Leslie. He had the Illustrated newspapers, and he was the managing editor of more than five different kind of Illustrated newspapers. Uh, Miriam, his wife, was um, in charge of one of those particular newspapers. Was the editor, and Miriam was not as faithful to Frank as she should be. She had a number of affairs. Some of those affairs that she had were a gentleman who were stockholders or owners, outright owners of different railroads who would come to her and say, no one's getting on board these trains and we really need to do something about that. And it was in 1877 that Miriam Leslie said, here's what I think that we should do. I think I should gather about 10, 12 people with me and we're going to get on board the train. We're going to get on board the train in New York and we're going to take that train all the way out to San Francisco and we'll make all these incredible stops in between And the artists that I have with me will draw some amazing pictures. The photographers that I have with me will take great stills of the trip. And the poets that I have coming with me will wax nostalgic about this incredible journey. Indeed, it did take them five months to go from New York to San Francisco. And after they completed that particular journey, Miriam Leslie writes a book entitled From Gotham to the Golden Gate. And it was an amazing bestseller. And not only did it sell, the book sell incredibly well, but it increased traffic on the trains going from point A to point B across the nation. And it is said that she did more, Miriam Leslie did more for uh, to promote railroad travel than any other woman in the 19th century. I can see that. And again, that's something that I can't see businessmen who funded the railroad as even thinking of uh, writing a book like that, uh, just wouldn't maybe see the value in it. Yeah, I don't really think that they did, but it took someone like her to be able to, like I said, all these different women influenced the railroad to some way. I mean, even when I was talking about Laura Bullion, who was with the Wild Bunch, and they robbed the Montana area 
prior to her involvement in robbing the train, women were not searched. Their handbags were not searched. No one looked at women as being a threat. But the moment that Laura Bullion was known to be a part of that, that all changed for women riding the rails. So they influenced it for good and, and, for, and for evil. Yes, that's a good point. Now, one thing I had heard about, or one one aspect of this I had been familiar with a little bit before, was the Harvey Carr Courier Corps. What can you tell us about that? I am so amazed. If, I mean, Fred Harvey and then the executives that came after Fred Harvey were so brilliant when it came to how to promote the West, and especially after World War One. There was a decrease in people riding the rails, and they wanted people to get back aboard the trains. And Fred Harvey and his company, Fred Harvey Company, decided it would be wonderful if they could come up with some additional ways to entice people to come west. So it wasn't only getting encouraging people to get on the train and come to amazing destinations like Grand Canyon, but when they got there, you could also take a car ride. You could get off the train, then get in this wonderful vehicle. And the women who were just as gorgeous as the other Harvey women who worked the restaurants, these couriers would take you around to different parts of the West and give you a tour. And I just thought that that was brilliant. You you could get on the rails, the Santa Fe train, and you can go anywhere across the West and stop at different restaurants that were owned and operated by the Fred Harvey Company and worked by the beautiful Harvey girls. And then when you would get to your destinations, if you were done eating, the Harvey girls would take you around to other places. And um, they dressed in fabulous costumes. The uh, traditional Harvey girls at the restaurants wore the starched white shirts and the black skirts, the starched aprons. That wasn't necessarily the dress of the Harvey Courier Corps. They dressed as in traditional garb of the Native Americans um, in the different areas that they would go. They would dress like Navajo Indians. I just their their clothing was just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it was an, it was to take you, make you feel as though you were going back in time. And uh, Harvey's company did a really good job with that. Wow, how fantastic. With some of your books, like According to Kate, where you actually inherited some of Kate's belongings, there's kind of a personal connection. But what drew you to write about the ladies of the railroad? I saw this amazing picture of a woman on top of a rail car working on ventilation. And I wanted to know what on earth was she doing up there? I mean, she's in not so much the traditional Victorian look. She's wearing this long skirt and a very pristine, pristinely kept shirt, but um, she's on top of this rail car as, as it's going along the way. And that woman turned out to be Mary Pennington. And I thought, this is amazing. I mean, she was a scientist. She dealt in molds and spores. And she was dedicated to finding a way to preserving food as it was transported from the East to the West. And she does so during World War One, which really the, the public of the United States was fed by the food being transported via train from point A to point B. And there would have been um, 
there would have been a woeful lacking in that had it not been for Mary who invented this refrigerator car using uh, this ventilation system and a scientific method that she had for putting together this car. And it wasn't just something that she did on her own. I mean, she, and wasn't just something that she hired out to do, excuse me. She, she got on board these trains. She rode the top of the trains. She got inside the car. She was completely invested in working on making sure this refrigerated car was perfect. And uh, I, I, was, I was fascinated with her. So that's kind of what started it for me, just that picture of Mary. And I wanted to know, you know, there's got to be other women who work the rails in a variety of capacity. I mean, one of the um, ladies in the book that I've written about, I think I mentioned her name was Nancy Wilkerson, and she invents the cattle car. And you think, well, you know, cattle cars, weren't they already there? But sincerely, they weren't. There were ranchers that were driving their herds from Texas through Oklahoma all the way to Dodge City, loading them on a train. But there wasn't any way to separate the livestock from compartments of food. And it was Nancy Wilkerson who invents this sort of rack and pinion kind of lever that will allow the cows to get their food as they're and water as they're being transported from uh, one part of the country to the other part of the country and kept them healthy. And there just wasn't anything before Nancy. And so, that kind of thing fascinated me too. Yeah. So again, she was somewhat ahead of her time in thinking about how we treat the animals that we're invested in and the livestock that we're dealing with and treat them in a humane fashion. So that's really fascinating. I got to tell you, I don't know, know so much that it was driven by humane reasons. I hate to say that. I, it was driven because her husband was a cattle rancher and you didn't get paid for those cows that got delivered and had, and had expired. So necessity breeds invention. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I visited your website and it offers us a glimpse at some neat up- upcoming projects. And one that really captured my imagination that I don't know anything about is The Lady and the Mountain Man, The Unlikely Friendship of Isabella Bird and Mm. Rocky Mountain Jim, which seems like something completely different from The Women of the Railroad. So can you tell us about that? It very much is different from Women of the Railroad. It's it's a wonderful romance. And it's a a true story of this brave woman who is a, a British citizen, and she has a number of health issues. Isabella Bird ends up being one of the most famous travel authors of all time. She writes she writes incredible travel books that uh, are still read today and still praised as being some of the best travel writing ever because I mean, she she traveled to Sandwich Islands. She traveled through Colorado and wrote what she did about her journeys. They're just phenomenal reads. But Isabella Bird is a very sickly child, very sickly woman and has terrible back problems. And her doctors suggest that she needs to take a long sea voyage. And after a couple of short sea voyages, she does decide that she is going to travel to the United States because one of the things that she's always wanted to do was to see Long's Peak in uh, Colorado. And so she does. She travels over the ocean by herself at a time when women weren't doing this. This was in 1873. 
this proper Victorian woman travels to the desolate area there in Colorado. Absolutely beautiful, but I mean, void of any kind of sophisticated people. It is all trappers in the area where she is going. And she's looking for guides to take her to Long's Peak. And no one wants to do that. She's a woman. They don't think that she needs to be there. And she does find someone to take her. And the gentleman that she does find to take her is a man by the name of Jim Nugent or Mountain Jim. And Mountain Jim is a rough character. He has been in the mountains for a number of years, has had encounters with bears as one side of his face has been mauled and he's missing an eye. But the two of them have a great love for the Bible and a great love for the Lord, a great love for travel, and they get along famously. And by the time they reach Long's Peak, the two of them are very smitten with one another. And their romance is never physically realized, but emotionally the two have a connection. And the book is about how you've got this very proper Victorian lady who falls head over heels in love for this rough mountain man. And rough mountain man, like Mountain Jim Nugent, finds someone as appealing as Isabella Bird, who is a woman who has these horrible back issues and um, is not entirely healthy. Although the time that she spends in Colorado, she does become healthy. So it's just this amazing journey. It's, it's a relationship between these two as they travel the uncharted territories of Colorado in 1873. That sounds like a terrific story. Bogart and Hepburn, kind of African queen kind of thing. That just sounds great. The two characters. That wow, are- look at you. What a, I never even thought about that. You're brilliant. You're hired, Rich. That's great. <laughs> perfect. We'll, we'll get the option signed tomorrow. I, 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 I should have thought about that a long time. I love the African queen. I've seen it a hundred times. I just never made that connection. You're so brilliant. Look at you. That's why you got your own show. <laughs> there you go. So uh, let's talk about Western Writers of America for a second. Like so many organizations, we've had to curtail convention activities in 2020, but that doesn't mean we've been idle. In fact, one of the most rewarding programs, I think, Packing the West, still goes on, and you've been really busy with that the past few months. What can you please tell us about Packing the West? Packing the West is a, a literary program that Western Writers of America are bringing to schools across the United States. We have started in the Western territories and have focused primarily on three different states, Colorado, Wyoming, and California, where we've done a number of presentations. I personally have done 10 presentations. All but two have been outside. I take a trunk into the schools and my subject that I'm talking with the group about is about women of the Old West. The Packing the West program has four different subject areas. One is women of the Old West, another is Native Americans, another is legends of the plains, and the other one uh, is trails, trails across the American West. And each one of those areas have a, have a trunk. It's filled with historical replicas of that particular subject matter. And you go into schools You open your trunk and you share with the children the history of women of the Old West and you bring out different items that you can show the children about what took place in the American West and what these women did settle the West. We leave behind a curriculum on that particular topic for the teachers. We also leave behind a selection of books. We've just started out. So I've just left one book behind right now. But we, and that's one book per student. So we make sure that all the kids get a book about that particular area of the American West. 
And um, we have begun to do a remote teaching program where we have been producing historical segments for Packing the West. We produced the first four in September and October in Wyoming, and we will premiere those at our convention in June in Colorado. But those particular short documentaries will accompany the trunk and the books into the schools. And so when we don't have writers there speaking specifically to the schools, our trunks can go before us, and that's what the teachers will use, the trunks and Western Writers America's books, the curriculum, and now our teaching documentary series, Packing the West. I think it's a great program with so much going on with uh, history in schools and how history is taught and what kind of history we teach our young people. I think it's really important that those of us who work in, in Western literature and do know something about the West because of years of study and research to get that information from various points of view to the kids directly, especially in written format so they can read it themselves, I think is fantastic. It's just a great program. Well, and you know, what's, what's encouraging for Western Writers of America and what makes it such an incredible organization is the opportunities that our authors, our members are going to have to be a part of this teaching program. We are going to be publishing the definitive history of each one of these states. Western Writers of America will be offering definitive books about the history of each one of these states that will be used as part of the curriculum in each one of the, from New Mexico to Nevada to Montana and Washington, there will be a history book that Western Writers America authors will have penned about those four subjects that will be in each one of those schools. So we really have amazing opportunities to be able to let people know what happened in the American West. Funny story, Rich, as I have been traveling around, and as I said, I've, I've been in 10 schools so far. Each one of the schools I go to, I ask the children if they can share with me two names of women that they that they know of who helped build the American West. Without fail, at least one child in every school that I've been to, they have said the Golden Girls, the <laughs> television show with B. Arthur and Betty White. That's, oh that's who kids these days think really were pioneers. They think B. Arthur was a pioneer. And I, I'm always taken aback when they tell me that because I, I always have to say, do you, you mean the television show? And that's exactly what they mean. And they've even regaled me with the singing the theme song. So across the board, every school I've been to, they think that Betty White, um, she was right there with Custer. <laughs> wow. She'd be happy to know. She would. Anyway, <laughs> I, just, I, I get a kick out of that. I mean, I, I thought that they would come back with Calamity Jane or Annie Oakley. I, I, I never imagined in a million years be Arthur. No, I would, I would never have guessed that. Well, Chris, I need to wrap up our conversation. I'll do so by pointing folks to your website, www.chrisends.com, where they can learn more about your work. And I'd also like to publicly thank Chris for her work with our Six Gun Justice podcast, both as a sponsor and as our liaison with more than a dozen incredible WWA members who have agreed to appear on the show last fall and this coming spring. We're honored to host these men and women 
They're simply the best Western writers producing today, and we couldn't do it without you, Chris. Well, it's a wonderful partnership. Uh, Six Gun Justice uh, podcast is a phenomenal show, and as long as I'm around, I'm going to do everything I can to make you guys even whatever I can do to help you make, make you be hugely successful. Thanks for being a part of the show today. Thank you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks to Chris for hanging out and chatting, and thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America for making this podcast possible. Be sure to check out our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, Keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride.